Welcome to Awakened Grace. Today we are in week three of a great series called Emotions That Destroy. And today we're tackling the emotion of jealousy. You know, after preaching this sermon, I had some people come to me and say, you know, I I didn't think I was a jealous person before you preached this sermon. And after hearing it, I've detected some jealousy in my life. You know, the Word of God has a way of doing that. It shines a light on things that have a tendency to hide in our heart. Well, today, I'm hopeful that God's Word is going to shine its light in your heart and help you in this area of your life. So today we're talking about jealousy out of Matthew chapter 20 and James chapter 4. I'm so glad you're listening to Awakened Radio. James chapter 4. Verse number one, this is fascinating scripture to me. Listen to what James says. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Now think about that. What causes quarrels among you and what causes fights among you? Isn't that a great question? Have you ever been a part of a church that all they did was fought and argued? Oh, goodness. Have you ever been a part of a body, a part of a church that, uh, you know, people can't get along and leadership can't get along and all they do is fight and quarrel? Let me tell you, people are not born again in churches like that. Who wants to join a family where all the kids do is fight? And it breaks the heart of God when a church is in great disunity. It breaks the heart of God when God's people are, are not united. And if there's anything that we need in the church, and I don't mean just this church, I mean collectively, the church as a whole, we need unity in the body of Christ. Is that right or is that wrong? And James is going to get down to the heart of the matter, and he's going to ask a very hard question that a lot of churches need to ask themselves. What causes quarrels among you? What causes fights among you? And let me just say something. If you're new to this church, let me, just, let me just tell you right now, we don't put up with fighting in this church. Amen. I'll tell you to leave faster than you can imagine. Do you know why? Because people can tear it down quicker than we can build it up. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if somebody were to come to you and they were began to gossip to you and tear this church down and speak bad against our leaders, speak bad against our way of thinking, speak bad against the ministry that we're doing. Let me tell you what you tell them. You might as well say, friend, it's time for you to go check out other churches. Now, I can't see your faces, so I don't know if you're accepting this or not. We had a guy here one time who caused so much trouble And you know what what I told this guy? And I'm not joking. I said, we got six exits. You need to pick one. And you need to go. We don't put up with it. What causes quarrels among you? What causes fights among you? Now he's going to say something staggering. If you were to ask me, I would, I would say, well, people are not getting along. 
people making bad decisions, people reacting to bad decisions, people reacting to what leaders do or leaders messing up. or well, I mean, there's a hundred things. But no, James boils it down to this. He asks the question, what causes quarrels among you? What causes fights among you? And then he boils it down to what has the potential to fix every relationship problem in your entire life. Every sibling rivalry, every workplace problem, every church life problem, every marriage problem. Are you ready for this? He says, it is this, that your passions are at war within you. Are you kidding me, James? He doesn't get into the, well, he said, and she said, and he did this, and she did that, and they didn't like this, or I didn't agree with. No, he boils it down to this one simple thing. You didn't get what you want. Now, is that not fascinating? What causes quarrels among you? What causes fights among you? It is this, that your passions are at war within you. In other words, you and I have internal conflicts that turn into external conflicts. My main premise today, my main goal today is to show you that when you and I detect jealousy and we realize jealousy in our heart, I'm going to take scripture, I'm going to take the word of God, and I'm going to show you how it's not the other person that you have the problem with. What jealousy does, the reason it's such a great sin, such a deep sin, is because what jealousy does is it begrudges God Almighty. It takes your internal conflict, turns it into external conflict and points and attacks and spills over into the people that you love in your life. But ultimately, what it does is it begrudges God Almighty. Is everyone with me right now? Someone asked me before the service started, What's today going to be bad? I said, get ready. It's going to hurt. (laughs) This is going to be a rough one, all right? But I'm going to show you what to do with jealousy. And I think it's going to have the potential to change you. So he says, it's the passions that are at war within you. It's those internal conflicts. And then he's going to define it very carefully. Look what he says. He says, you want, you desire, but do not have, and so you murder. Does he mean literally? Well, certainly it can turn into murder. I heard Bill Johnson say something I have never heard anyone put quite like this, and I want you to think about it. He said, bitterness and resentment and jealousy. Listen to what he said. He said, those things are murder in diapers. And when it grows up, never heard anyone put it quite like that. 
He says, you do not have, you desire and you do not have, and so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. Is that not jealousy? Simply put, what Scripture is teaching, simply put, jealousy is when you don't get what you want. Go to Matthew chapter 20. Now, what we've done throughout this series is we've went to the New Testament for the principle, and then we went to the Gospels for a parable. We did it with anger. We, we, we went to Ephesians 4 and saw how to rid our life of anger, and then went to the parable of the ungrateful servant. We did it with greed. We saw the principle, keep your life free from the love of money. That was in Hebrews. And then we went to the parable uh, of the rich fool who tore his barns down and built bigger. Today we're going to do the same thing. The principle is in James 4. Jealousy is not getting what you want. It's internal conflict that causes external conflict. And now we're going to see it demonstrated in the parable of the workers of the vineyard in Matthew chapter 20. Now Jesus is going to teach us something on jealousy here. And I'm in a I'm in a fun season of our family life. Most of you know my children are young. Uh, Piper is eight. She'll be nine years old next week. Emmy's six. Uh, Hudson is two and a half. And uh, John Mark just turned one. So there's a lot of jealousy in my household. You can imagine. There's a world of jealousy. And uh, Hudson cracks me up. I'll, uh, I'll hug Sadie and it'll make that little boy so jealous, he'll come and push me away and say, my mama. (laughs) We'll be lying in bed and I'll put my arm around her and he'll take my arm and throw it off and say, my mama. And even John Mark, as little as he is, I'll be holding John Mark and Hudson will climb up on me and lay his head and, oh, John Mark doesn't like it. He pushes him away. It is so much jealousy. Jealousy is cute when it's like that, right? But not when we grow up. Now, let me say this. Not all jealousy is bad. You know, God is jealous over us, but not in a sinful, sin-tainted way. Jealousy is not always a wrong emotion. If I'm a good husband, should it make me jealous if another man flirts with my wife? I mean, I wouldn't be able to see it, but I mean... But should it not make me should it, you know, but should it not make me jealous? You understand what I'm saying? Not all jealousy is wrong. What it, so this is why the Bible, this is why I appreciate that it defines it so well for me. Chad, it's when you covet. It's when you want, but you cannot obtain. That's when you become jealous. And to be quite frank, I want to know what to do with that. I know what to do with anger now. I replace it with forgiveness. I know what to do with greed now. I have to replace it with generosity. But what do I do with jealousy? Don't let me forget to tell you because it's in the storage, file storage. Jesus is going to teach us a lesson in what is called the parable of the workers of the vineyard. Now, remember what we've said through this series. What is a parable? A parable is an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. 
In other words, it paints a picture that you can see in your mind's eye. It gives you a story that you can relate to, but it has a spiritual truth to it. It has a heavenly truth to it. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's what a parable is. If you really want to understand this parable, you have to go back and read chapter 19. Because the parable of chapter 20 is in reality an answer to Peter's question in chapter 19. If you look back in 19, we won't go through it today, but you can read it on your own. Let me just give a a brief summary. So this rich man comes to Jesus one day and his followers and says, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, keep all the commandments. And the man basically in arrogance goes, well, I've already done that. So what else am I lacking? Jesus said, okay, you do lack one thing. Take all your goods, sell them all, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me, and you'll have eternal life. And the Bible says that the rich man walked away sorrowful. Friends, any man that comes to the foot of the cross and will not follow the footsteps of Jesus, he will walk away sorrowful. There's no biblical record that this man ever repented or that this man ever chose to follow Jesus. Well, Peter's watching this, and the disciples are watching this. And, and, you know, I just imagine what it must have been like. Because let me tell you, these men who followed Jesus, they were poor. And when I say poor, I'm talking they were broke. Do you understand? I mean, they were so broke that, I mean, think about this. They left everything to follow Jesus. The Bible says they forsook all. The Bible says that they left their occupations. They left their businesses. They walked away from everything to follow Jesus. And when this rich man comes up, can you imagine how excited they were? And Jesus looks at the man and instead of welcomes him, basically puts a barrier there and says, you want to follow me? Sell everything you have. Oh, and don't give it to us. Give it to the poor. I bet Peter thought, Jesus, we are the poor. You say, Chad, how do you know that? Because Jesus said foxes of the whole have holes, uh, birds of the air have nests, but yet the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That means his followers had nowhere to lay their head. And they're poor and they're broke. Remember, Peter couldn't even pay his taxes. Jesus did a miracle and let the gold coin be found in the fish's mouth just to pay his taxes. These boys were broke. And can you imagine, it would be like today, a billionaire wanting to join Preaching Christ Church. How excited would you be? And what would you do if I said, well, you know what, we're probably not the church for you. You would be like, Chad, you're out of your head. We would never have to worry about a thing. He could bankroll our whole ministry. Why are you turning him away? I bet the disciples were just stunned. And who is it that spoke up in chapter 19? I bet Andrew was thinking it. I bet James was thinking it. I bet John was thinking it. But who said it? Good old Peter. And do you remember what Peter said? He said, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. 
what then shall we have? And then you turn the page in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus gives Peter his answer. Jesus says, you can follow along with me in Matthew 20, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says that a landowner who is going to be representative of God in the story, Jesus represents, uh, Jesus uh, is showing God as this landowner. This landowner needed workers for his vineyard. And so he goes out at the beginning of the day and he finds men and he contracts with them. They make an agreement. These men say, I will work the entirety of the day for one denarii. So a contract is made, an agreement is made, and the men go to work. And then the Bible says that the landowner goes out about the third hour of the day and needs more workers. But this time they don't make a contract. This time the workers agree that the landowner will give them whatever is right. Whatever is right. And then later throughout the day, about the sixth hour, he goes and finds more workers. And again, the agreement is whatever is right. About the ninth hour, he repeats the process. And finally comes the eleventh hour. One hour is left of the day. Only one. And he goes and he finds these men standing idle. And he says, men, why are you standing idle? And the men say, well, no one has hired us to work today. And so the landowner says, I'll hire you for what is right. And again, no contract is made. No agreement is made. And so the men go and they work the one hour of the day. So there's been men who have worked the full 12 hours Men who came in on the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and finally a group of men who came at the eleventh hour, only one left. Well, the Bible says at the end of the day, they lined up, and Jesus is going to teach a principle that says, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And so in this principle, in this parable, in this story, the Bible says that they lined up, and they started with those who came at the eleventh hour, and on down the line it went to those who had worked all day. And the landowner paid the men who had only worked one hour, one denarii. Well, you can imagine how excited the men got when they saw that their, uh, when they saw that their fellow workers had received an entire denarii for only an hour's worth of work. They're over there doing the math in their head. Well, we've worked 12 hours. That means we're going to get 12 denarii. And they assumed. And so as everyone is being paid, they come down to those who were under contract, those who were under agreement, and guess how much they got paid? One denarii. And thus the lesson in jealousy. There are some situations in life, and I think this needs to be understood by believers. There are going to be times that God favors another person over you. There's going to be times that you pray for something, you believe God for something, you fast over something, and God gives it to another person rather than to you. What do you do in those times? 
What do you do when you don't want to feel jealous, but you do feel jealous? Why? Because God has blessed someone. God has advanced someone. God has given someone what you feel in your heart you deserve. Has anyone ever wrestled with these feelings? Perhaps you feel it toward one of your siblings. Perhaps for years there's been friction between you and a sibling because there's jealousy there. Maybe there's tension in your work environment because there's jealousy there. Someone got the promotion that you really deserved. Someone got advanced when you got overlooked. Perhaps there's tension in your spiritual life because you've truly trusted God for something and yet God helps someone else and it doesn't feel as though God has helped you. Jealousy comes from our internal conflicts that turn external. And while most of us don't want to feel the way we do toward others, we don't want to feel jealous. We don't want to look at them in a bad way or secretly wish they would fail or secretly wish they would mess up. It happens, doesn't it? What do you do with that? So when, now watch this. So when the men are getting paid, And the men who were under contract got one denarii. They grumbled and they complained. Friend, is that your life? Do you find yourself grumbling about where you are in life? Do you find yourself grumbling about your circumstances and about your situations? Well, Jesus says something that I don't want us to miss today. Jesus said that the landowner looked at the men under contract and said, friend, I have done you no wrong. Jesus said the landowner who represents God said, is it not lawful for me to take what is mine and do what I wish with it? And listen what Jesus said. Just as in anger, Jesus' definition is canceling all all debts. Just as in greed, Jesus' definition is not being rich toward God. Do you know what Jesus' definition is of jealousy? Look what he says. Do you begrudge my generosity? See, that verse has stopped me in my tracks today. I don't want to begrudge God's incredible generosity. I don't want to look at someone's life and say, God, you've given them what I feel that I deserve. You've blessed them with so much more. You've blessed them with better things. You've given them this or given them that. And God, I wanted those things. Do you know what? Again, jealousy is really not about the other person. It's about me and God. It is about me begrudging God's decisions. Me begrudging God's favor. Me begrudging God's generosity. I don't know if you've ever fallen into this trap, but let me tell you, every one of us listening today, we are susceptible to this trap. And then, to make matters worse, I'm sure this broke the heart of Jesus. I'm sure it did. 
If you enjoyed today's broadcast and would like to hear more great content, you can always download our free mobile app, Awakened to Grace, where you can request prayer, find sermons, articles, blogs, music, podcasts, as well as support us financially. You can also visit either of our websites at www.preachingchristchurch.com or www.awakenedtograce.com for more information about our church or our resource ministry. Thank you for listening to Awakened to Grace.